This reading is from Revelation chapter 21, and the heading here, New Heaven and a New Earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, uh, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here amongst you. It's been uh, some time since I've been at the uh, 9am service, and uh, it's great to, to be here amongst you again. Uh, there are new people here who I'm, who, uh, I'm not necessarily familiar with, and, and you won't particularly know me, so uh, just a very quick introduction. Uh, I'm the treasurer of the church. I've uh, been on, on a warden and on parish council, and uh, my current service is uh, mostly the 7pm uh, service. Uh, and like I say, it's great to be here amongst you today. We're looking at uh, God's plans come to their fruition as God's kingdom comes to, uh, comes to perfection, comes to where it ought to be. And uh, so as we do that, let me pray for us as uh, we come to God. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the wonderful ways in which you have uh, opened your word up to us, that you have spoken to us and shown us your plans and purposes. We thank you, Father, for the mighty way in which we can see so many of your plans brought into effect already through Jesus. And Father, as we look to the completion of your plans now, we pray, Father, that you would help us to have eyes and ears that are open to your plans, that we may be committed to your service and seeing your plans brought to effect and be ready for that great day when you will indeed bring all things to their wonderful conclusion. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you mean when you pray, your kingdom come? Oh, it's part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, but, but what are we actually praying for as we pray that? What are we looking for? What will it be like for God's kingdom to come? Uh, as uh, 
uh, as John mentioned as he introduced the service, we've been following through this sort of idea of the God's kingdom for a while now as we looked at the line of David and uh, the kings of the Old Testament and, and the promise of the great king who would come in the line of David. Uh, we've seen the coming of that king, Jesus, at Christmas. Uh, and last week we looked at how we live now in the kingdom that he's established. But today we're looking at what will it be like when God's kingdom comes in all its perfection? Now, normally in our preaching here, we, we look at a particular passage and explain what it says. Uh, and that's a very right and healthy way to read the Bible and, and a good pattern to follow. But sometimes we need to look at a topic and see what the Bible says about that as a whole uh, across the Bible. And, and that's what we're doing today rather than looking at just one passage. So while we will get to Revelation 21, that isn't the only focus, not even the main focus possibly, of our sermon today. So uh, just to give you that warning of where we're heading, uh, and you should be able to see with a bit of luck some of the uh, pattern of where we're going, except I've got the clicker and I haven't got it because it's over here. So I'm the one who's in control of making... And I've got to turn it on. Hey! All right. So God's kingdom comes. And as we saw last week, uh, we're at the point now where it's sort of now but not yet. You might remember last week uh, Phil's image of the kingdom of God being like a pregnant woman. The kingdom, like the baby, is, is ready. It's here. And yet it's not yet. It's close. Everything is ready. The ultrasound shows that the baby is fully formed and ready to, be, ready to be born, but you can't actually see the baby until the delivery. And for us, it's like that. The kingdom is here now, but not yet. You see, Jesus has been raised to heaven. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, enthroned as the rightful king of all. And when we put our trust in Jesus, then we are adopted as God's daughters and sons into his family. We are part of that kingdom. And the Bible speaks of us even now being seated before the throne of God. Thought it'd be more comfortable, didn't you? Well, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then you are now in the kingdom of God, right here, right now. And yet we still pray, your kingdom come. Because the kingdom isn't fully here yet. The baby hasn't been born yet. The inauguration ceremony hasn't been held yet. And indeed, there are still those who oppose God's kingdom and refuse to accept it. But Paul summarises this opposition to God's kingdom as coming from three different sources in Ephesians chapter 2. And so as we look at these, I, I want us to imagine what it would be like without them. Some person, I can't remember who, some, saying something about, imagine there's no heaven. Well, I want us to, remember, to be starting to think of, imagine there is no earth. You see, imagine there is no opposition to God's kingdom. 
The Bible speaks of three sources of opposition to God's kingdom and, and Paul particularly raises these three together in Ephesians 2, the world, the flesh and the devil. Throughout the years these have been used to describe the different sources of attacks that come against God's people. And as Paul speaks to the Ephesians, he says to them, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is, the devil or Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You see, these three things affect our lives and they are stopping us from truly enjoying the kingdom of God, even though we are part of it. Because we still live in the world. We still live in a world with all of those who oppose Jesus and who are moving in a different direction. We still live in this body of flesh with all its sinful desires and thoughts. And we're still facing the attacks of Satan who continues to try and pull us away from God. And so imagine a moment what life would be like without these things. Imagine what it would be like to live in a society where everyone was always truly following God's way and sought to honour him and live in obedience to him. And we get occasions of this, uh, glimpses of this occasionally, don't we? Like for an hour or so at church, as we meet together with like-minded Christians, as, as we meet and encourage one another to live God's way. Or when we go for a weekend Christian conference and we're with a whole number of people over a longer period of time enjoying that time together. And wouldn't it be great to have that all the time? Now, some people have tried to capture this by, by setting up separated communities of God's people where only those who are Christians can be together, with, with, be part of that community. The problem, though, is that the world is only one of the enemies of God's kingdom and the other enemies eventually bring the world in to whatever community we happen we might create. We simply can't create this type of community in the world. But imagine if we could. Or imagine what it would be like to truly have control over our own thoughts and desires. In fact, no, not just control. Wouldn't it be great to actually have our thoughts and desires so changed that they are always perfect and pure? Sometimes we find that that's accidentally been the case. We see some sort of change. We, we see um, someone's short of change at the shops, and, and without thinking, we, we, we just offer to help them out. Or someone says something to us that can be taken innocently enough, or, or, or it could be a sarcastic insult. But we're completely oblivious to how we could see it, of take, take, how we could have taken it as a slur. We just take it as, at face value, as a, as a compliment. Or we watch a movie and, and somehow miss all the sexual innuendo that's there. 
Of course, we only know that we've accidentally done the right thing because afterwards our sinful, our sinful flesh makes us question why we didn't do something else instead. But wouldn't it be great to always naturally only do what Philippians 4.8 tells us to do? That whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Wouldn't life be so much better if we weren't always having to battle our own flesh, if we were truly able to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, if we were able to be made new in the attitude of our minds and, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, as Ephesians 4.22 tells us to do. Imagine what life would be like. Or imagine what it would be like to not always be under the attack of Satan. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Because, you see, our struggle is actually not just against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms we read in Ephesians 6. Even without Satan, our world and our flesh fight against the kingdom of God. But Satan takes them to a whole new level as he uses them to tempt and misguide us. And he also has his own ways of attacking us spiritually as he brings doubts to our minds about whether God really loves us or whether we really can be forgiven. Or wouldn't it just be so much easier to just follow the ways of this world, his ways? And yet, we know, we've done the work, we've spent the time, we know that it is so much better to follow God. We know that it is so, that God really does love us. We know how much he has done to forgive us. And yet still, Satan gets in and creeps in and brings those doubts. Wouldn't it be great just to be able to continue in our well-proven experience that God is good to us? To be able to maintain our confidence in God's forgiveness, which is so well shown in the cross. Wouldn't it be great to just keep experiencing the blessings of living God's way without the doubts and niggling thoughts or even the outright attacks of Satan who tries to drag us away from God's kingdom? Imagine. You see, occasionally we get this little taste of what God's kingdom is truly like, don't we? Times when we've had that wonderful relationship with God's people, when we've been so convinced by God's word of the wonder of his love that Satan's been pushed far away from us. Times when God's spirit has really strengthened us to want nothing more than to serve God. They're wonderful experiences. Even if we know that they're short-lived and that we'll come crashing down to reality soon enough. But when God's kingdom truly appears, it will be so, so, so much better. That little taste, ah, it's nothing. 
See, it won't be like the movie trailers. You know, you, you've all seen those pre previews of that show that you think, yeah, oh, it's going to be so funny. Yeah, they, 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 the, the jokes that you've heard in the, in the trailer, just great. Or, or full of action or romance or, or stunning beauty because you've seen the, sh the, the, the shorts and then you go and watch the movie and you realise that the only funny lines in it were the ones that are in the trailer. Or the action was pretty overhyped, or, or, or in just so many other ways, it just doesn't live up to your expectations. That's not what our experience, these little tastes of heaven are like. Far, far from it. They are nothing. Nothing compared to the reality that's to come. They are only just a taste. Because God's kingdom is coming. God's plan is in effect and he will bring it about. All these things which currently oppose God's kingdom will be cast out and destroyed. The world, the flesh, the devil, they will have no place in God's kingdom. Instead, we will be able to enjoy what we can only begin to imagine now. And we will enjoy it forever. And it will all happen when Jesus returns. That is the great day we are looking forward to when God's kingdom will be brought into effect in all its, in all its fullness. Our reading from Revelation 21 begins with uh, John's vision of new heaven and a new earth. He speaks here of what it will be like on that day. And the new heaven and the new earth they're passed away. There are new heaven and new earth because the current heaven and earth have passed away. This world has been destroyed. The world, both the physical world as we know it, and the world as those who are opposed to God will be cast from God's presence. There will be no more opposition. And as for Satan, well, if we look back a few verses in, back into chapter 20 of Revelation, we see there that Satan also, he is thrown into the lake of burning sulphur where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The defeat of Satan on the cross by Jesus as he died will be made complete when he is finally condemned for all time. Not only that, but our own body of flesh, it will be transformed as we are given new bodies that are fit for heaven. The flesh that holds us back will be gone. John doesn't describe that here in Revelation, but Paul speaks about it for us in 1 Corinthians 15. And there in verse 50, he declares that, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's mortal. Instead, we will be changed. Uh, first of all, those who have died will be raised up with new resurrection bodies. And then those who are still alive will have their bodies changed in an instant to be immortal. They will be glorious spiritual bodies, fit for heaven, able to serve God. And so what John does see in Revelation 21 is the result of this transformation. In verse, th verse 3, John hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The enemies of God's kingdom, the world, the flesh, the devil will be gone. God's people will be finally able to enter God's kingdom in all its perfection without any opposition. The pain and suffering of this world and its battle against evil will be finished. Our salvation will be complete as the effect of the fall where we were cut off from life will be undone. Now we are able to drink freely from the spring of the water of life, we're told. What a wonderful day. And it's not just a day. It will last for eternity. But what will it be like in this new creation? Well, words fail to describe it. In his vision, John is given a tour of the new Jerusalem through the rest of chapter 21. But his description doesn't really match with any practical reality of this world. Some people have tried to draw it. It doesn't make any sense. Because John, like every other description of heaven in the Bible, uses heavily symbolic language to describe it. Because what else can you use to describe something which is out of this world? And so he says its form will be perfect, a square. Its dimensions will be perfect completion. Twelve times a thousand in every direction, both as long as it is wide and as high. It's made of only the very finest and richest materials. It's a perfect dwelling place for God's people, adorned with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. It's a perfect dwelling not just for God's people, but for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, who are this city's temple, and whose glory fills it with light as God dwells with his people. This new creation will be like those glimpses that we have of being right with God, but magnified over and over and over again. It will be glorious. Oops, I've gone the wrong way. Or I've pushed buttons when I didn't mean to. That's what I've done, isn't it? (laughs) but for now what a staggeringly glorious inheritance we have before us is it any wonder then that the New Testament writers keep urging us to persevere to hold the faith to complete the race to overcome See, life now surrounded by God's enemies can be very hard. We're in the midst of a great battle, a spiritual battle. But what waits for us is so much better. It's no wonder that Paul can say to the Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Friends, hang on until the end. 
And as you hang on to God, let go of this world and all its trappings. See, we can be so absorbed by the things around us. You know, a comfortable home, a happy family, freedom from COVID, you know, the enjoyment of holidays. There is so much good around us that we can hang on to and see seem so attractive, but it's passing away. It will all be destroyed. Make sure you're storing your treasure up in a place where it will last. Make sure that you are rich with God in heaven. And finally, how can we look at the joy and glory that awaits us and not be filled with sorrow and heartache for those who won't get there? I'm sure that when we get to heaven that our joy and thankfulness that God chose to save us will far outweigh any sense of sadness for those who aren't saved. The wonder of God's grace and mercy that he should choose any of us, the true justice of his judgment that we deserve his condemnation will be fully seen. But how much better will it be if those who we love now are able to share that with us. Of course, then it will be too late. But now is the time of opportunity. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't let this world silence you. Speak out and rescue those around you before it's too late so that they too can share in God's glory and know that wonderful day. Because, friends, the kingdom of God in all its perfection will be a glorious and wonderful thing to behold. It's a treasure beyond value, glory upon glory, indescribable. All we can say is to echo John's words at the end of this revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.